Well, a very good evening to you all, and thank you for joining with us as we meet together at Stornoway Free Church here, and I trust that we will all know God's blessing as we come under his word tonight. And I want us uh, to begin by uh, reading from Psalm 102 and sing Psalms, Psalm 102, and we pick up a reading at verse 12. But you, this is in Sing Psalms, but you, O Lord, are set forever on your throne. Through each succeeding age endures your great renown. You will arise in mighty power, on Zion Meshi you will shower. The set time now has come to bless Jerusalem. Her stones your saints hold dear, her dust is mourned by them. Nations will fear your name, O Lord, all kings on earth your praise record. For God will yet appear in glorious might to reign. The Lord in grace will build Jerusalem again. The prayers of the poor he'll heed. He will not spurn their cry of need. Let this be written down to teach a future race, so people yet unborn may magnify his grace, that from his holy place above the Lord look down in tender love. Let us now pray. O Lord, O oh God, as we gather before you this evening, we give thanks for your, for your grace and for your goodness, for all that you do in us and for us. We give thanks, Lord, for the way you lead us through life, uh, because uh, we recognize that as we face all the difficulties and challenges and all the things that maybe set us back, the things that disappoint us, the things that worry us, the things that we find not just perplexing, but we find uh, so problematic, we do not know how to work our way through it or out of it. And yet we give thanks, Lord, that you know everything. And you know our situation, and you know what will work and what won't work. Because you know the end from the beginning. But you are uh, uh, committed to your people. Your people are your portion in this world. And we can count on the fact that you are always there to guide us and to lead us and to help us. You are a shoulder to cry on. You are an arm to lean on. And you are the great God of heaven and earth. And we give thanks, Lord, for the intimacy of your working, that while the power of yours is so great, that by the word of your power you brought everything into being, yet you're able, uh, by your grace, to sustain and support even in the most difficult of times. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us as we come to your word and uh, that you will open it to us, that we will be conscious of your presence and your peace. We pray, Lord, that we might be challenged by your word and uh, that we might be rebuked by it, that we might be enlightened and encouraged by it and that we might find that you are speaking to us directly through it. We pray for our uh, young people and ask, Lord, that you would help them in a very difficult day, a day where there is many challenge, many challenges facing them. We pray for them at, at home, going through homeschooling. Pray for parents who are having to adjust and all the difficulties and challenges they face. We pray for teachers who are working in new spheres and in new challenges. And we yet, Lord, we give thanks for, for this way of learning. Uh, that uh, that at a time like this, when people cannot be meeting together freely, uh, that you are still able, uh, through the gifts that have been given, uh, that people can learn at home. 
Give thanks, Lord, for the Sunday school and for uh, the wonderful way that you have equipped uh, your people to prepare the lessons and uh, that these lessons have been given to the children into their homes and again uh, with their parents. And we pray that blessing will come from this, that even although it might be locked down, that it might be open doors as far as the work of the kingdom is concerned, and that good seed is being sown every day and every week at this particular time, and that there will be a great harvest from the lockdown, even although we might feel frustrated and disappointed by it. Lord, you are the God of the harvest, and we pray that this will be a sowing time, and that there will come a reaping time. And we pray, Lord, that indeed uh, your, your name will be glorified through it all. <clears throat> We ask, Lord, to be with those who are ill, seriously ill. Lord, we're, we're aware of some who are so ill, and there's great worry and anxiety uh, with their families. And so we commit them to you. Lord, we give thanks for the great care that is given in our hospitals and in our homes and in the hospice and all the different places that, that uh, uh, help those who are in need. Lord, we give thanks for our carers and uh, for all our uh, NHS staff and all who work so tirelessly for the good of others. We pray for those at the, at the, in the emergency services and those who put their own lives at risk, uh, seeking to help and to aid others in their time of difficulty and distress. Lord, we give thanks for all these things, and we realise that often there is a toll taken on them as they deal with the suffering and the pain and the trauma in people's lives. And so we ask that you will be with them. Help us, Lord, to be focused upon yourself and not to be too caught up with ourselves because there is a, an incredible self-centeredness that is part of what we are as sinners. Help us, Lord, to have a greater focus upon you and a greater focus upon one another and that we might be sensitive to other people's needs as well as our own. Help us, Lord, to have a caring and a compassionate heart. Uh, deliver us, Lord, from being judgmental and we live in a day where there is a growing sense of intolerance uh, right throughout society. Lord deliver us from this and uh, that there might be a greater appreciation of one another and, and uh, that the greater that we be allowed this freedom to express our own opinions because uh, it, there is this growing sense of intolerance that with some people that they will not accept or allow for anybody else to hold other views and Lord, we realize that, that that is wrong, even even although we may disagree totally and altogether with some of the views. We realize that in the freedoms that the gospel brings, and in the democracy that gospel brings, uh, that freedom of expression is one of the great, great uh, privileges that we have. And so, Lord, we ask for your protection, and we pray in particular in light of the gospel that we will always have the freedom to proclaim your truth unhindered, that uh, we will be able to deliver the full counsel of God, that we will not have to hold back, that the state will not interfere uh, with the proclamation of your truth. And we pray that your truth will filter more and more into society, although there are many who are seeking to remove your word and the influence of your word from society. We pray that it will be the very opposite, but that your word will grow more powerfully in society and that it will influence people in all walks and particularly in places of influence in every area of society, in politics and in commerce 
in all the whole financial world, in all the places of counsel and in, in the arts and leisure and sport, in all the different areas, in technology and in medicine and in education, and that people who will love you will be in places of influence and prominence. We pray for our advisors, advisors to our politicians, and pray, Lord, that we will find your people amongst them, that they'll be able to influence for good, because righteousness exalts a nation. And forgive us, Lord, for our national drifting away from you, and for, as it was saying in Jeremiah, that we've hewn out for ourselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. O oh, Lord, help us uh, to look to you as to be the only uh, way of salvation and the only way of deliverance. We pray, Lord, for us in the face of this pandemic, and we ask, Lord, that the vaccines would be rolled out in a way that would become effective and that uh, in not too distant future we're beginning to see uh, a great reduction in both in, in cases, positive cases, and with those who are getting so ill from COVID. We, we give thanks, Lord, for people who are recovering from, although it can have a lingering and lasting impact. We pray for those who are seriously ill from it, and we ask, Lord, that your healing may be upon them. Lord, bless every family that is devastated by death. And we know that that is that which changes a life, changes a family's life uh, forever. And we ask, Lord, that you will bind up the brokenhearted and grant them your grace and peace. Be with our leaders, we pray, in Edinburgh and in London and here locally in the council. Lord, grant them your wisdom and direction and grace. And we pray that you will have mercy upon us and that you will cleanse us from our every sin, asking all in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> and, uh, just a wee word to, to any of the young folk who are listening in tonight. Uh, two or three weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, Mr. McKeever, as he's preaching through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, was preaching from chapter 12, uh, from the beginning of that chapter, that great Verse, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And he preached a tremendous sermon. In fact, I enjoyed it so much, I listened to it again. And uh, it's probably one of the most important uh, verses for any young person to learn. Because the Bible is talking about the importance of getting right with God when you're young that you will ask Jesus into your heart when you're young. Because there's going to come a time very often in life when the things of God and the things of Jesus will become less and less and less. And that often happens when people get older and older, if they've, if they've forgotten about God when they're younger. Very, very often you will find that they have really no thought about God when they've got old. Thankfully, Sometimes old people do come to turn to the Lord, but very often if they've forgotten about God when they're young and middle-aged and as time goes on, they forget more and more about God. So that's why it's so important when you have your energy, when you're young, when you have good thoughts, when you're under the gospel, when you're under the word and you have your Sunday school teachers and you have your parents at home and they're teaching you in the right way. It's important that this is when you will remember your Creator and turn to Him. Because the Bible shows us, this chapter shows us, 
the incredible change that takes place in the human body. As we get older, we change. Everything about us changes all the time. And my mum, who stays with us, she's 103, which is very, very, very old indeed. And one of part of that Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it says, it, as it goes through all the different things that happen to people when they get old, one of the things it says is they are afraid also of what is high. Now, I was looking at my mum after listening to the sermon and reading that verse again, and I was looking at my mum and I was thinking, this is so true. Everything about it is so true. And when it says there that they are afraid of what is high, and I thought, well, that's so true with mum. What do I mean? Well, my, when my mum was young, she, she was somebody who loved hill walking. And she used to, she went in quite a lot of the hills in Scotland. She loved just to, to, to ramble, to, to, to walk. It's one of the things she loved to do. And uh, when she was young, she used to run and jump and climb and all these things. Today, she is afraid of her own height. What do I mean? What I mean is this. When Dolly and I, or the carers, try and get lift my mum's, she's sitting in the chair, and when we try to get her up to move, and we get her to stand her full height, she begins to get afraid. And before she can take a step, she, as soon, she's all right at this position, but as soon as she stands her own height and looks down, it's like, oh, I'm too, and she starts going, oh, she gets all shaky. And you have to help her to, to take a step. And here's somebody who used to run and jump and climb and all these things. And now you're reaching a stage where you're, you're almost afraid of your own height. And so it's, it's an amazing thing. And one of the things you, you begin to discover is that the really old people, they begin as they go back, they're going back. Little, little babies and toddlers, they're, get, they're growing and developing. Older people, they're, as it were, going back, uh, they're getting less and less and less able to do things. For instance, my mum now, we have to nearly, we have to really mash her food. She loves potatoes and gravy and veg and all that kind of stuff. But even if you're having lasagna, you have to cut it up into little bits and then give her a spoon with it. And she feeds herself like that, but everything is done so slowly, which is quite funny. Uh, one time, I remember, Joshua was, he loves being in with, with, with my mother, and uh, my, that's my, my grandson, and he, uh, I was in the kitchen, and he was playing away in the room, and then I heard him saying, clever nana, and I thought, what's that? And then I heard again, clever nana. So I went through, and my mother was having her food, and she was taking a spoon and taking it up to her mouth, and he was standing in front of her. And when she would take off the spoon, he would go, clever nana. And you see, we used to do that with Joshua when he would, when we're trying to feed him something that he didn't particularly like. And eventually he would take it and we'd say, clever Joshua. And I was thinking, here's gone full circle. Because here's a two-year-old encouraging a 103-year-old. But that's life. That's what happens. It's this 
everything is beginning to shut down and everything to slow down. And my mum can't really do anything now apart from really sit in the chair. She does a wee bit of reading and listen and a wee bit of talking. But I'll tell you this. She is really happy and content. And it says in that chapter about these days when everything in the body is sort of failing and fading. It says, I have no pleasure in them in these days. But I look at my mum and she's really happy and content. Why? Because when she was young, she did exactly what this verse says. Remember your creator when you're young, in the days when you're young. And she gave her life to Jesus when she was young. And she's followed Jesus all her life. And so you can see within her there's a peace and a happiness and a contentment. And I guarantee that my mum is happier and more content than many of the millionaires and billionaires in this world. She can't really do anything apart from sit there and listen, a wee bit of talking, a wee bit of reading, and that's it. But she's happy. And I sometimes think she's sitting there and she's just waiting for Jesus to take her home. And that that's the beauty of it. That is why we should, while, we, while we're young and we have the energy and we should say, Jesus, come into my life. Because let me tell you, the older you get, the harder it'll be to find Jesus. So when you're young, you ask Jesus, you ask him now to come into your life, into your heart, so that you will have him for life and for death and for eternity. Nothing greater in this whole world. Let us say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's read God's word now from the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, and we're going to read chapter 1. Book of Ruth, chapter 1. <clears throat> in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two, uh, took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. 
May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Dorpa kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading of his own holy word. And I want us tonight to particularly consider, just at the beginning of the very first part of this chapter, but to whom in verse 6. Then she arose, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. This book, the book of Ruth, although it's only four chapters, a short book, only four chapters in it, is a book that is, is full of love. Uh, it's a story that's actually, in some ways, a very, very sad story. There's a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, a lot of heartache in it. But there's also and an amazing amount of love in it as well. It really is a love story. And uh, the the original home obviously was a, a happy home, but great sorrow and pain was to come into it. And yet, as we follow through the story here, we see the great love that Ruth has for her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi, and Naomi for Ruth, and uh, the love of Boaz uh, for Ruth, but above it all and through it all, we find God's unchanging love for his people. And 
although the part of it is dark and sore and sad, yet it's also a story that at the end is uplifting. And that is so often the way that God works with his people. Because although weeping may for a night endure, at morn doth joy arise. And very often the darkness that God's people go through, and it's real darkness, and it's real pain, and it's real sorrow, can give way to joy. And we find that in the story of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth comes at quite a dark time. It's, it's during the time of the judges. The judges followed on from Joshua. Now, the time of Joshua and the Israelites that came into the promised land, they were very committed to the Lord. They were people of faith. But as time went on and Joshua died and that generation died and then there was the next generation, it's amazing how quickly the powerful influence of the godly fear that was in that generation began to fade. And as time went on and one generation gave way to the next, we find that the influence of God became less and less and less. And it's actually quite frightening at how quickly things can change. You would never have believed that it could have moved so quickly. In fact, uh, there's a, a version in the book of Judges that it sums up that whole period. Everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. If it felt right, you do it. It's, very, it's almost an anthem for today. See, there's nothing new under the sun. When we go back to the Bible, we'll always find that it's exactly up to date. People did what was right in their own eyes. There was a fluidity about life. You, there were no absolutes. And you, you just, uh, if this is good for me, it might, it might not be good for you, but you do what's good for you. I'll do, I'll be who I want to be. You be who you want to be. It's that kind of life. That's how it was in the book of Judges. It's kind of how it is today as well. So it's amazing how quickly uh, the influence of good can, can, can depart. And that's how it is in our own land. The decline, the gospel influence in our own land, the decline of it is quite frightening in such a short period of time. And every year it seems to be accelerating more and more. Now, uh, the problem that began to develop in Israel, and there was a pattern developing, is that as they abandoned God and turned away from God, that God gave them up. Give them up to themselves. And you know, that, that actually is, is about the worst judgment that could ever happen. And I pray that that will never happen to us here in, in, in this land. Because that's what a lot of people want. They, want, they, want. they don't want God anywhere around. They don't want God interfering. They don't want even the notion of God. Well, I cannot think of anything that would be worse than living in a land where God was not tolerated or allowed. Not, of course, that that changes who God is. He that in heaven sits shall laugh, and that God will hold them in derision. <laughs> the, the people don't realize what God is actually doing. He's sitting, he's taking note, and a day is coming. And he's patient, he's long-suffering. But it's a fearful thing to try and live without God. And we pray that God will never hand us over to ourselves nationally. It'd be an awful thing. Well, that was what was happening to Israel. And yet God was still watching them. 
And what, what would happen is that he, he would allow uh, invading nations, maybe like the Philistines or uh, the Midianites, to come in and invade the land. And there were famines and there were all pestilences. There were all kinds of things happening. At first, they wouldn't cry to God. They would try and struggle their way through the difficulties and the droughts and the famines and the oppression and all these things until it became so extreme that there was nowhere left to turn but to God. Last resort. And then they would cry to God. And God would hear them and he would send a deliverer. And so he had deliverers like Gideon and Samson. And these men became judges in Israel for quite a time. So that was the kind of pattern, and so that's a background to this chapter in, in Ruth, or this little book in Ruth. And so we meet this family in, in Bethlehem. They lived in Bethlehem. Uh, we have uh, Naomi with her husband Elimelech, and the two sons, Malan and Gillian or Killian. And uh, what we find is that there's a famine in the land at the time. This was one of the times under God's judgment. And what we've got to remember is that when God's providence is working against us, now, not always, but often, when God's providence is against us, God is speaking to us through that. And the worst thing that we can do, really, is to fight it, or to go against it, or to try and run away from it. We ought to submit under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. We need to be saying, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to us? What is What have I to learn from this? So we don't try and run away. However difficult the providence is, we, we have to submit under it and, and learn what God is doing uh, in it and through it for us and for, for, a, for, for our nation. But Naomi and Ruth, no, Naomi and Elimelech and the boys, they made a wrong decision. They made a decision based on economics, very simple decision. And they said, well, it's, this is how it is. Over there in Moab, there's plenty of food. Here, there's none. Let's go to Moab. And you'd say to yourself, any parent, any family, they would, that's the kind of decision that they would make. But it was a wrong decision. Wrong decision because they weren't submitting under God. Or obviously, maybe they hadn't cried to the Lord, or maybe they were crying to the Lord. But the decision to go to Moab was not according to the revealed will of God. Even although God overruled everything, it wasn't according to the revealed will of God because God had very clearly said to Israel that there were two nations that they were not to seek the peace and prosperity of. One was the Ammonites and the other was the Moabites. These two nations, you have nothing to do with them. But that's what they did. They went to the very place where they, where they shouldn't have gone. And so they, they go to Moab. And initially it would seem that everything everything went well. And then tragedy strikes. Because Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. And so poor Naomi, here she is in a strange land. And now the devastation of entering into widowhood. And her life is torn apart. But the two boys take... Uh, girls from Moab as wives, Ruth and Orpah. And it is very evident that they were nice girls, they were lovely girls, and proved to be, without a shadow of a doubt, wonderful wives, because they also proved to be wonderful daughters-in-law as well. 
but then double tragedy strikes because both Mael and Killian die. So here's poor Naomi, Ruth and Orpah. And Naomi has lost her husband and her two sons. And you know, the grief that some people are called upon to go through in this world is overwhelming. I sometimes look at people that I know who have had just not just one tragedy, but sometimes multiple tragedies, multiple sorrows in their lives. And I sometimes wonder, how on earth do they cope? And it, you really, it, it can only be through the, the grace and the, and the strength of God. And here is Naomi, and she felt alone and abandoned by God. She feels that she's no longer Naomi. There's nothing blessed about her. She feels she's bitter. She's bitter about her situation. She's bitter against God. Mara, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And yet Naomi would later discover that God hadn't abandoned her, that God still had plans for her, and that God was going to bless her, and that God was going to provide wonderfully for her. And you know, today you might be like Naomi is, you might be today heartbroken. Your world has caved in. You've lost what was precious to you. You've lost that which was at the very centre of your life. Your life has been torn. It's broken. You, 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 you're in pain. You go to bed with a pain. You waken with a pain. There's a pain always in your heart. And sometimes you say, you look to God and you say, God, I says, you know, this is part of the beauty of the Psalms. They're so relevant. God, have you forgotten to be gracious? The psalmist cried. Have you forgotten all about me? There's a brutal honesty in the psalms. And that's no doubt how, how Naomi was, and it might be how you are today. Well, let me say this, he hasn't forgotten about you. And God has a purpose and a plan for you. The thing is, you may never understand in this world exactly what it is he has done. But he's not asleep and he's not unaware of your pain. And he's not finished with you yet. He brought a blessing back into Naomi's life. He brought a blessing into Jacob's life, despite the fact that Jacob is saying, all these things are against me. Job seemed to have lost everything, and yet God restored the fortunes of Job. He blessed his latter end. And God is in the business of restoring and he's in the business of reaching out and he's in the business of blessing and God can give you joy in your pain today you might think that's impossible but you know there's a lot of the Lord's people and they they have to confess that before the end of the day that the Lord the joy of the Lord has become their strength and uh, so that's where Naomi is. But in verse 6, we find Naomi making a decision to return home to Bethlehem because she heard, this is what she heard, the Lord has visited his people and given them food. And Naomi makes up her mind, I've got to go home. And I don't believe that it's for the food because there's plenty of food in Moab. She has heard that the Lord has visited. And there is this longing in her heart she needs to get back home with the Lord. And I think that there's something at this moment in, of Naomi that's a reflection of the prodigal. Remember the prodigal son 
remember that son that he had he he was one of these impatient young fellows and he came to his father and he says basically he was saying dad i can't wait till you die in order for me to receive my share my inheritance i want it now it's kind of like in the age that we're living in the now the now age i want it now so the father gave him the share that would would eventually come to him when he died now he went into a far country and boy did he have a whale of a time he blew it he had loads of friends but eventually, of course, what happened? The money ran out and the friends ran away. That always happens. You know, if you've got plenty of doors, you'll have plenty of friends. Not true friends. True friends stick with you through thick and thin. But these superficial friends are only there to share in, in, your, in your good times. And, of course, there was left there all on his own. And then a famine came and he ended up, he needed to get he needed to get to work in some shape or form and he was on a pig farm and he was so hungry that he would have eaten the the slops that the pigs were eating and when he was there looking at the pigs and in the down in, in his mind and everything he began to think of home and all of a sudden in his mind home was not so bad as it, as he had once thought he had once thought it was stuffy and I needed to get out and expand my horizons and get away from this restriction. I need to live life to the full. Now away he goes, but now he says, I, I have to arise. I need to get back. I shall arise and I will go to my father. And I think there's something of this in Naomi at this moment as well. For she says, I have to get home. And so there, there's a... She, we find that her daughters-in-law are there and although she has the love of the daughters-in-law who really care for her and there's obviously the people of Moab although God's favour was not on them they didn't uh, they seemed from what we see of Ruth and Orpah they seemed to be very nice people but they were heathens and it was obvious that Naomi had become tired of the heathen ways and heathen practices the heathen worship she needed to get home. She needed to get where God was. Maybe there's somebody listening tonight. And this is speaking to you because you might have tuned in tonight. And you're saying to yourself, you know this, I remember when I was young. And I I was fed up of, of uh, all this. I was brought up under the gospel. I was brought up going to church. I was brought up in a good home, a Christian home. And I kind of rebelled against it. Because I found it restrictive and I wanted to live life and I wanted to get, to be my own, to be master of my own destiny or in charge of my own destiny. But you know what? Life hasn't turned out. The world promised you, it's promised you so much, but you know what? It's not delivering on these promises. And there might be somebody listening tonight to saying, you know, it's time that I arose and went back. It's time to come home. And you know, it's the most important lesson that we can learn. If you've strayed, if you've gone away, if you're in a far country, it's time to come back home. Time to come back to the Lord. And the Lord is there. And remember how when the prodigal came, the father, the father ran to meet him. Outstretched arms, well, the outstretched arms of Jesus are inviting you tonight. So please, it's time to come home. But you'll notice that uh, it tells us here, that the Lord had visited in giving them food. But very interestingly, in the AV translation, it says uh, the word food is translated as bread. 
which again was probably the, the staple diet. So really what we have regarding Naomi is, they had, remember they had moved from Bethlehem to Moab, home is Bethlehem. So really it is saying the Lord has visited his people in Bethlehem to give them bread. And you can never think of that without thinking of how the Lord visited Bethlehem many, many years later. And where the true bread of life came to Bethlehem. And of course that is the Lord Jesus Christ because he said, I am the bread of life. A bread that is free, a bread that is full of nourishment, a bread that uh, will satisfy you forever and ever. It is the true bread of life. So if any of you are away tonight, away from the Lord, whether you were once following the Lord and have drifted, or whether you once were brought up in, the, in a Christian home but turned your back upon it, but tonight you've tuned in, you're listening in, I hope your conscience is stirred up. I hope and pray that the Lord is speaking to you because it is time to come home. Because, you know, life, life is full of disappointments. And the older you get, the more you discover that life, no matter what you've achieved or what you've done, that it never really ultimately satisfies. There is only one that can truly satisfy, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time to come home. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that uh, you will enable us to look to you, to believe in you, and to trust in you. We give thanks for gospel favours and gospel blessings. We pray that we may look to you and to follow you. Help us, Lord, not to turn our back upon you, so that our following will be true and committed. And if anybody has wandered away, Lord, help them to come back. If there are those who grew up under the gospel and yet have turned their back upon it, we pray that even tonight they will turn round, turn them round, Lord, so that they will again uh, look to you and uh, come to discover you as uh, the true Lord and Saviour. Forgive us our sin, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask all. Amen. We're going to conclude singing from Psalm number 80 in the Scottish Psalter, the 80th Psalm. We're going to sing the last three verses of the Psalm from verse 17. O let thy hand be still upon the man of thy right hand, the Son of Man, whom for thyself thou madest strong to stand. So henceforth we will not go back, nor turn from thee at all. O do thou quicken us, and we upon thy name will call. Psalm 80, verses 17 to the end. O let thy hand be still upon. O let thy hand be
grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen. Uh, thank you very much for uh, listening in tonight, and we pray that the Lord will bless each and every one of you and bless you in your homes and families and all whom you love.